Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the second edition of the Believe in Pit Football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dorn Dickerson, former Pit All American, alongside former All Big East quarterback Bill Stahl, and also Jerry DePaula, beat writer for the Pit Panthers of the Tribune Review. And guys, we have a special guest. Special former guest. Pit All former Pit All American linebacker Scott McKillop. Scott, we'll start with you. How's uh, everything going? Everything's great. You no, know, uh, it's been about four and a half years. I've been living down here in the. Uh, it, it pains me to say it, but the great state of West by God, Virginia. So, uh, family's family's great. Got a, a five-year-old uh, daughter, two-year-old son, and a beautiful wife. That is awesome, man. You know what? And we've uh, we we've been close over the years. Uh, we've shared a lot of experiences together. I'm talking me personally with with Scott, and you know, one of the experiences that you know, outside of playing for Pitt uh, together, playing linebacker together, one of the experiences that we had was we got to play in the NFL together. We got to play for the Buffalo Bills and. You know, Wanstead was uh, the the linebackers coach was was actually Scott's coach, and you know we went through that uh, that gauntlet together. And Doug Whaley, who's a former uh, Pitt Pitt football player and a former GM, was the assistant GM at the time. So Scott, we've been through the trenches together, and uh, we're all very appreciative of your efforts throughout the years and, and joining us today. I, I appreciate. It. Well, let, let's be honest. You were a part of the Buffalo Bills. I I had a cup of coffee in preseason and OTAs and was unfortunate to be able to make the team. But yes, we were uh, together in the off season and I unfortunately wasn't as good enough as you and you made the team and I did not, but well, I, I appreciate it. Well, let, let's, let's audit, let's bring the listeners to that point though, because you know, you were drafted in what the, the fifth round, fifth or sixth round to the San Francisco 49ers. And then your first year, I believe that you were the MVP of this, of special teams. And then you had an injury. Let's, why don't you take the listeners up to that point whenever we were in Buffalo, which was what your third year, third or fourth year? Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, uh, I, I had a good uh, rookie year, special teams player of the year. You know, uh, I was able to you know get a touchdown. I guess I got lucky, bounced off about thirty-five people's helmets, and I jumped on it in the end zone. Um, got hurt uh, second year and got hurt again third year, and then rehab my knee. You know, uh, Coach Wansett was the the DC of uh, Buffalo, gave me an opportunity. Hurt my knee again, you know, it's, it, it, it's, you know, kind of ironic that, you know, what NFL stands for, not for long. And, you know, when you get injured a couple of times and you're not as, not that I was fast to begin with, but whenever you aren't fast anymore and you're injured, it's kind of like bye-bye. Yeah. And, you know, it is unfortunate. Like you said, not for long. I mean, that was the first uh, slogan that I heard when I got to the NFL. So, uh, but no, yeah, like I said, we, we enjoy you taking the time out of your day to join us. And it's 2021, new pit season. Uh, you know, we have a golf outing coming up Friday, a, a former player golf outing, pit alumni golf outing. But Saturday is the game at 4 p.m. The Pit Panthers will take on UMass. And, uh, you know, Bill, you know, real quick, it, it's finally here. I mean, today I walked outside. I had some stuff to do for work. And I could literally smell it in the air. You know, I thought I could smell it last week. I thought I could smell it two weeks ago. But today, I could literally smell football in the air. And we're a couple of days away from the Pitt Panthers. Uh, you know, how excited are you? And, you know, I, I know that you have the juices rolling because all of us former players, 
they, we get this going through our blood uh, every single year, even though we don't play anymore. How are you feeling right now about the, the season starting? Well, first off, let, let me clear some things up with Scott here. By Scott saying he was lucky means he was in the right place, and he's, he was always at the right place at the right time. There's no, there's no mistake uh, of why you were an All-American, All-Biggies, and why you got drafted and were obviously rookie – uh, rookie of the year for special teams for the 49ers. So there's that, Scott. All right. Well, I, I gave you the the kudos you you deserve, brother, for real. Uh, you're you're a beast, and th- there's a reason why you were All-American. Uh, getting to Doran's point, man, I tell you what, it's a little bit crisper. You know, the rain kind of cooled down the, the weather, that, that scorching sun that, that we've had, the humidity has, has kind of died down. And I'm seeing 60s as far as the weather. And that means fall's coming. And that means two things. Number one, football is here. And number two, pumpkin spice is here. I'm just letting everybody know. I mean, I have had so much pumpkin spice coffee, it's not even funny. But I am ready for some football. Uh, College football is, I mean, let's go. Let's just go. Jerry, before we get into uh, the the ball's debriefs, uh, you know, you're actually there. Uh, you know, every week and you've been there throughout camp and you've been there this week, you know, what's kind of the, in short, before we dive into your segment, what's kind of the vibe and down in the South side at, at practice? Well, you know, they're zero and zero. They haven't played a game yet. And, and everybody's, you know, excited when they're zero and zero and nothing's gone wrong. And, you know, knock on wood, they haven't had too many serious injuries either. I mean, uh, Lucas Kroll, the tight end, you know, was hurt last year and then wasn't around to play most of the season. He's been healthy throughout camp. Of course, he was healthy throughout camp last year, too, and he got hurt in the Syracuse game. Uh, but they seem to be, you know, very – now, we don't get to watch much of practice, but by all accounts, these guys have a lot of enthusiasm. They're practicing hard. There doesn't seem to be any uh, uh, any uh, division on the team. They all get along so well. Uh, that's that's sort of the thing we get from them. Of course, like I said, we don't get to watch everything. Like back in your day, I think wanting let you watch reporters watch practice – probably from start to finish if i'm not mistaken is that right mm-hmm. uh, yeah you pat guys Narduzzi, are always there yeah pat, well pat narduzzi gives us half an hour uh we get to watch the calisthenics we get to watch uh, a couple guys catch punts and we get to watch uh narduzzi actually has a very interesting drill he goes through and the quarterbacks have a drill with the wide receivers the wide receiver runs out and runs a pattern catches the ball and as he catches it narduzzi throws one of those foam pads at him uh, at his feet to try to uh, simulate the attack. There was a nice up. video on on Twitter of that. I yeah, saw. I that. did it. That was mine. Yeah, I did that, that. that was yours. Yeah, yeah. 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 I threw yeah. some love to he, you, he, Jerry. Yeah, I, you. I retweeted it. Appreciate it. Narduzzi. Narduzzi used to do something like that, and um, for specialists in pre practice when they were catching like punts, and um, to to make it as as awkward as they possibly can, and he he throw those agile ones at him, and you know I, I always would be like, man, you're you're providing an unrealistic experience that they're never going to face but you know it was always comical to see the agile ones bounce off their kid's face and you know the ball to fall afterwards but if they can do the catch the ball when when it's happening scott they can catch the ball anytime 
You know, and, and when they're catching punts, they're not supposed to be hit. They're supposed to be get a free, clean shot at it. But if they can do that with a guy in his face or throwing stuff at him, they can do that when, when nothing's coming at him. That's, that's the point of the drill like that. Scott, and you, you, uh, you know, like you said, you just brought up that, uh, that time where, you know, Narduzzi did do that. And you obviously played for Pitt, but you coached uh, under Narduzzi at Pitt for a little while. Um, this is a big year for Narduzzi, isn't it? I mean, you know, coming off of last year, I know we had COVID and the things of uncertainty and, you know, the, them losing two games by one point, that could have changed their season. And, you know, we say this every year that, you know, Pitt can't lose those games they're supposed to win. Um, is this a big year for Narduzzi? Does he have to get over the hump this year? Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a big year. I, I think you guys talked about it last uh, podcast, you know, and I, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but, you know, I mean, I don't know if you remember my senior year, your guys' junior year, we had all that hype. You know, the year before we were like 2-35 and 35 and we beat West Virginia and everyone was all excited about the game and we played Bowling Green, you know, and, you know, uh, Adam Gunn got injured. A lot of things didn't go our way. You know, we kind of got out schemed and, you know, Pitt has, has a history of losing the games they should win and winning the games they, they should uh, lose. And, and, you know, I don't know if, you, you know, Jerry or Bill or, or Dorn or if you guys can shed some. I don't know what it is. I mean, it happened when I was a player. It happened when I was a coach. I don't know if there's this just magic dust or whatever we need to do. But, I mean, all the, the, the current players, you know, it, it's not like they inherit something. It's just it's, it's you know, it, it, it's a joke. But people say you, you just pit, you know, and, and I don't know what it is. And, and it's not just uh, your, your, when you guys played or, or, or Paul Chris teams or the teams that, that played last year, it's all three different groups of guys that are playing. It's not, there's no, there's no uh, holdovers from, from those uh, unfortunate situations. It's just football. You know, sometimes things don't go your way. Uh, the ball is, has, has a point on each end, and it, and it bounces crazily sometimes. The la- last year when they, we, we, we rallied uh, to uh, take Boston College into overtime, Alex Kessman. Maybe one of the best kickers in pit history. This is an extra point. <laughs> how, do you, how do you explain that? The defense was pretty good last year with Paris Ford, Damar Hamlin, uh, Jason Pinnock. These guys all got shots in the NFL this year. Hamlin and Pinnock actually made their teams, and Buffalo and the Jets. But still, NC State comes back after the offense gives them a lead and scores a, scores a touchdown with about 13 seconds to go. It, it happens. And, you know, I don't think Pitt is, is – I don't believe in uh, – uh, in, in hexes or anything like that, things just happen. Sometimes your talent level is just a little bit, you know, off a little, a little bit off, and sometimes that's what happens. Who knows? This it, year, it, this year it could happen again because their schedule is very difficult too. People talk about how they play oh Western Michigan and UMass and, and New Hampshire, but you get into October, November, that's a very difficult schedule. And, and Bill, um, you know, even though that you know they're. You know, and Jerry doesn't believe in hexes, and maybe there is a, a, a cloud over Pitt. I mean, this has been happening for years and decades. Uh, but they do turn out stars. They turn out NFL players. They get Lots guys drafted. Like, it's crazy. It's and, and, you know, people used to come up to me all the time. They're like, I can't believe the amount of stars, NFL stars that came out of Pitt, and none of them ever won. Like, they're like, did, did Shady McCoy ever win? Did – Larry Fitzgerald and them ever win. And, you know, I mean, just and Aaron Donald. I mean, these are just guys from the 2000s. I mean, you go back to the 80s. And the crazy thing is, it's like we, you know, Pitt still turns out big time names, you know, Hall of Famers. But we can't figure it out how to get over that hump and to get uh, successful, consistent seasons back to back to back. 
I mean, there's good players, and you guys are you know, were three of the best players to play for Pitt over the last 15 years. But just not enough of you guys. And you got to have more of them. And, and and for a long time, Pitt wasn't recruiting enough good players. Now, it seems that Pat Narduzzi has recruited very well on defense. It's going to be a young defense this year. But let's see how good they are. You know, let's see what happens when, when the bullets start to fly. And, and you know, guys like uh, uh, Savassier Dennis, who I think is going to be a star linebacker. That guy, when he moves around, he got him playing middle linebacker now, by the way, when he played outside linebacker last year. So it's going to be interesting to watch, see how these young guys on defense develop. And, uh, and Bill, I mean, if you, you, you want to chime in here, and, and this brings up, you know, a great subject because – uh, you know, he, he brought Jerry brought up Savassier Dennis. And if you look at the depth chart, it says Savassier Dennis or Wendell Davis. And there's a lot of oars on this depth chart. You know, you could see either guy. Did we really have oars whenever we were playing, Bill? I mean, did you ever look at the depth chart and see or even other teams? You know, if you looked at Rutgers whenever we played them, did they ever have like got like two guys could be starting? I can't really pinpoint. Well, that. I well. Rutgers is different because it looked like they had the same guy, but they were just twins. Uh, the the McCourty <laughs> brothers uh, were, you know, one was field corner and one was always boundary. I mean, either way, it's a McCourty. They're both, you know, for, you know, uh, all conference guys. Uh, but, you know, with us, we did so many different formations and uh, no, I'm sorry, so many different personnel groupings that we, we knew that, you know, and in, in regular formation, who the starters were, but I mean, Doran, you were, you know, the starting H, but sometimes you were a tight end or at at wide receiver. So there, there's benefits to that. But uh, I, I don't think we had, you know, one A, one A, one B. It was, it was a, uh, you know, set in stone type of thing. I think Narduzzi puts the oars on a depth chart for for two reasons. Number one, to drive reporters crazy. And you know who's going to start. And number two, I think he wants to keep everybody interested, all his players interested. If, if like you said, Wendell Davis and Sarasia Dennis are listed as, as oars, you know, starting middle linebackers, both those guys know it. They, they, they practice hard and they work hard and practice during the week. They can start because they made a point this week of saying he's going to decide who's going to be the starting kicker, who's going to be a starting free safety uh, between uh, uh, Richard Mathis and um, – and uh, Rashard Battle and um, the other guy's name. Eric Hallett. Sorry, I'm sorry, Eric Hallett. Thank you. Uh, the, the, those guys are going to battle. They battled it out all week, and they'll battle it out tomorrow to see who's, who's going to be the starting free safety. And the kicker, uh, Ben Sauls and uh, Sam Scarton, they battled it all through training camp, and they'll keep battling that probably through tomorrow before Narduzzi makes a decision. Although I think he knows who's going to be his kicker. He just going to tell us right now. I was just gonna say, guys, we 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 know who we know who was battling, but yet you know positions you were quote unquote but, opening. But, but if we don't Doozy, get to watch brackets, we don't know. Yeah. Doozy is gonna gonna say that because he he will number one. He wants to mess with Jerry. He wants to mess with you. But well, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, but I, I think it's more just headline news uh, type let, of thing. Hey, guys, the players guys, know. Guys, the coaches know too. Go ahead, Scott. Let, let, let's be honest here. The, 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 there is always a rhyme and a reason why a coach does a certain thing. Narduzzi knows exactly what he's doing. He likes to be as secretive as he possibly can. He doesn't want to give out any information. It's the same exact reason why he restricts the media of what portions of practice they can see because he feels like if, if a certain reporter has a, has a degree of 
uh, UMass that he might go and tell Whipple. I mean, <laughs> le- like let's like sometimes he gives too much credit that people care more than what he thinks they does. And and also maybe I mean with, with players being able to transfer and you know you, you got to continue to recruit these kids to stay. So maybe this is a way to pad their egos or something like that. Like there, there's always some some form of strategy of why he's doing something. That's a good point, Scott. That second point is a good point. He's trying to keep everybody interested. They know they work hard in practice. They still got a chance. Yeah, and to to, to transition, we're gonna go to DePaul's debrief. And Jerry, like I said earlier, you are at practice, but you don't get to really watch practice. You get to watch thirty minutes of. Not only that, Warren, you can watch practice for the first half hour, but you can't report anything you see. In other words, if you see somebody over off to the side working on an injured ankle, you can't you can't report that, and that's just part of the deal he makes with uh, with the reporters. And and you know, I don't I don't like it, but uh, it's his team. He can do whatever he wants with it. Well, you know, and one thing that you do get to do is is watch the press conferences that Narduzzi does every single week. And, you know, I, I watched it on my on my computer and he brought up a point, And I think you might have asked this question. Is the offense going to be vanilla against oh, yeah. UMass? Yeah, and bad. he responded as like, oh, well, not vanilla, maybe butter pecan. You know, that's a, <laughs> you know, a better, I guess, analogy of 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 what the offense might be. What do you take from that? Do you, do, should we expect a vanilla offense or well, should we see some, some things that have uh, some, some nutty plays? That, that was good. I like that nutty plays. Very good play on words there, doing. I like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was one of my, the Paul DePrief's uh, items I wanted to talk about. You know, I asked him if he's going to use a vanilla offense against UMass. Cause number one, UMass isn't very good. They're 38 point underdogs. Number two, Pitt has Tennessee on a road next week. They certainly don't want to show anything to Tennessee. And he, he made a point of saying, well, we're going to work on everything, no matter what it is, because the kids have to work on it. They have to practice it. No, he, you know, he's not going to bring on anything exotic or any, any strange plays. You know, they, they held that, uh, that play against central Florida a few years ago, the, uh, Pitt special. Remember the play where, uh, uh, with Pickett caught the touchdown pass from the tight end. Um, you know, that was a play that he didn't use against Delaware. He didn't use it against one of his FCS teams. He used it in a game that he had, had to win against a, a pretty good team, and he ended up using it and got a victory out of it. So I don't think you're going to see much, you know, on, on Saturday, you know, in, in the UMass game. To me, it's going to be a vanilla offense. It's going to be a vanilla defense. Uh, he says, well, I, I, I prefer butter pecan or chocolate butter pecan or whatever he said. But, uh, you know, he's not, he's not going to show his cards. You know, he has big games coming up. He knows that North Carolina's watching and, and Miami and Clemson are watching and Tennessee's watching. Uh, you know, they, they, these coaches, they watch film and video, you know, 24-7 sometimes. And if he shows too much against UMass, they'll be ready for it. He doesn't want them to be prepared be prepared and work on something. They want them to, uh, to not have questions in their head. And that's what, uh, that's what good coaches do. I believe. To, to your Scott, point, to your ahead, point Jerry, uh, to your point, Jerry, I, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. I think they might show a little, just maybe one play of something crazy, just maybe that go, go or coach the coach bow, go, go offense or Whatever the heck you Brenda, want to call Brenda it. Marion, the, the wide receivers coach, yeah. Whatever you want to call it. From a coaching standpoint, now, Scott, you might you might be able to chime in a little more uh, with your experience on this, but he might show it because if you show something, that D coordinator is going to have to take some time out mm-hmm. of that game plan to allot some type of time 
you and and you can't just take indie meaning individual period where you have specific players one-on-one working on I'm talking you have to take some time out of a defensive team meeting to discuss what a full scheme of this is and how we're going to defend it just because they showed it against hopefully a UMass team that Pitt's going to blow out but I wouldn't be surprised if they show it just to give Tennessee something to work on so they're not you know, so, so they don't have the allotted time to game plan for your your standard type offense of that Pitt's going to play because it could play to their advantage. Scott, what no, what say you, buddy? No, no Bill, you're, you're spot on. I mean, you know, the, the, the biggest thing when you're breaking down film and you're trying to figure out, you know, a rhyme and a reason why they're doing something, you know, if you get a unique formation or a play that you're not familiar with, what it's going to what it's then going to do, it's going to put all the pressure on the, that GA or that quality control coach to go back and rewatch every game that hasn't been the four or five game breakdown and try and see if that play has come up. I mean, I know, you know, when I was on staff, you know, we had the, the four, um, four games that we decided to break down. And then, you know, the previous year or the current year, it was up to that, you know, coach who was assigned to it to watch the game and see if there was any unique play that they haven't showed, they haven't done, and what it is is whether it's the you know the, the walkthrough before or that Thursday that you go through and you kind of show any unique formation because you always want to be a what if. So, you know, and if, if there's a new offensive coach from UMass and he came from Akron, I mean, you'll look at all the Akron like plays the previous year. I mean, Bill hit the nail on the head right there. You know, it's just going to provide more opportunity and less time to focus on the meat and potatoes of the, of the, the offense. Good Scott, I mean, if, if you look at if you look at UMass, I mean, they have twelve transfers from uh, that came in this year all across the country. They were zero and four last year. Their quarterback Tyler Lytle is a transfer from Colorado. He's about six five, two hundred twenty five pounds. Now, you know, we and, and like you said earlier, we've had the Youngstown States. We've played the Bowling Greens. Um, if you're Wendell Davis or Savastier Dennis uh, playing middle linebacker this year. How are you preparing yourself for for this upcoming game, knowing that this team didn't win a game last year, knowing that this is probably regarded as a tune-up game before you travel down to Knoxville? Let's let's put Scott McKillop back on the field, and you're a junior linebacker like one of these guys. How are you preparing for UMass this Saturday? Well, th- th- that's what's in, what's very very important about Narduzzi's defense. I know that a lot of people get on him for, you know, he plays press quarters, puts the corners on an island. I mean, if you keep your defense simple, stupid, you can pretty much align to anything that any offensive shows you. So what happens is if, you know, if you're a cover three, cover four, you know, whatever, how many different coverages you want, it's hard to practice every offensive rep versus all the different coverages. That's why, you know, that, you know, I mean, Phil Bennett did it whenever we were at Pitt, you know, we were a quarter team. Now we didn't press, we played a little bit of a, you know, press, press bail and whatnot, but, you know, we knew exactly, you know, outside linebackers had to relate to number two, middle linebacker had to relate to number three, you know, whether it's the field or boundary safety, you're either splitting a difference or, you know, leaning towards one or the other, like you could pretty much line up versus any formation and know exactly what you're supposed to do. And as long as you read your keys and react and play aggressive, you're fine. I mean, the the, the biggest thing that, you know, whenever I, uh, I coach for a couple of years, I used to always tell my players, like, 
you know, if you're going to make a mistake, make it a million miles per hour and be aggressive. The, the, the worst thing you want to do, regardless of whatever position you are, is make a mistake and then just kind of look around and like not do anything and basically just become just get in the way. So I, I think with the, the leadership on defense they have at linebacker and the type of scheme that they play, I mean, let, 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 let's be honest. The linebackers are a rip and run linebackers. They're downhill. Very rarely do you ever see them move backwards, which I think hurts them from time to time in play action because you put a lot of pressure on the safeties by their their alignment of, of how, how shallow they are and getting beat on double moves because they're having to, you know, linebackers really are playing run first, run second, and run third. That's his defense, top to run. That's been his defense the whole time he's been at Pitt. And when he was at Michigan State, he did the same thing. Which, that's great you know, stuff, John. Or, that, that's great stuff, Scott. Seriously. I mean, I mean, Jerry, I mean, to, 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 to go off your point, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of, he wants to make teams one-dimensional. I mean, if I was going against him, I, I, I would very, I wouldn't even, I'd pass it. I mean, you guys said it last week. I mean, you're playing press man on third and long. I mean, you know, a 50-50 ball, but still, I mean, how often does it get pass interference? You know, I, I think there has to be some sort of changeup. But here's the thing, though. This is coming from an ex-coach, ex-player who's currently not coaching. So, obviously, his scheme's working because he's coaching and I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, I, I asked Randy Bates about, about that very thing uh, earlier this month, the defensive coordinator. And he, he seemed to indicate that they're going to give the cornerbacks, you know, who are playing that press coverage, some help, some safety help. And a lot of, of course times- they're going to say that. Of course they're going to say that because they want to they create that reasonable doubt to other coaches. But you and I both know, third and long, big play, you know exactly what's coming. Either they're pressing the corners or they're, they're running that middle cross dog with two inside linebackers cross. You know, th- three deep, two under. We both know what he's going to do. Well, there's a reason they, Pitt gave up all those points to Mason Rudolph and, and, and James Washington when they played Oklahoma State because they, they had poor Vontae Maddox playing one-on-one. And it, just, it just didn't work. And, and it's, it's, uh, when, when Narduzzi first came to Pitt, you know, and that was the um, – I forget what bowl game it was against Baylor, you know, and, and they won. And, you know, he was – Cotton Bowl, yeah. Correct. And he was, you know, raving about how they only had minus one yards rushing. But – they also gave up 782 yards passing. <laughs> and, and, and the way the college game is played today, you know, you, you, everybody's passing like crazy. So it's, you've got to be able to give those cornerbacks some safety help. And, you know, I, I think you might see more of it this year. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, I, they, maybe Bates was just, uh, you know, pulling my leg a little bit. But uh, I, I really think that the way the game is played today, you can't put those corners on islands like that. And, and they're, they're good corners, but and especially Damari Mathis. He's going to be in the NFL. Uh, but the other, other corners are, are, are inexperienced, and, and that could be a problem if they're going one-on-one against some of these. You know, UMass won't be a problem. Maybe Tennessee won't be a problem. But, boy, I tell you what, when Sam Howell starts throwing it all around uh, P, uh, P, uh, Heinz Field on uh, November 11th, it could be a big problem. I mean, if, if, if I'm a corner and I want to make money and show that I can play to the next level, I mean, you, you, you'd be dumb not to come to Pitt and play corner. I mean, if you want to have the next coming of Rebus Island and show – what you can do. I mean, it's the same exact way. Like when, I mean, give it, I'll give you an example when Georgia tech. Yeah. They run a triple option, but here's the thing though. If you're a receiver, you're going to get man to man coverage every time. Mm. So it's like you, yep. you can maximize your potential of, of, you know, what you want. And as with that being said, we're going to head into uh, 40 and five of Bill Stahl and 40 and five. For those of you that don't know, that is the landmarks for the receiver and 
the quarterback for the quarterback to throw a, a go route. So your landmark's supposed to be 40 yards down the field and five yards from the sideline, and the throw should be there, and you should have your eyes peeking a little bit, probably what about 30 yards. You should just start peeking a little bit, and then you should catch the ball 40 and five from the sideline. So that's why we call this segment 40 and five with Bill Stahl, because Bill is a former quarterback. And, you know, I, and thinking back to watching the press conference for Pat Narduzzi this week, you know, another thing stuck out to me, and I could relate. I could close my eyes and just relate to what he said, Bill. Um, he said that Kenny just looks poised. Kenny looks patient. Kenny looks like he's a fifth year, fourth, fifth-year guy. He looks like he's been around for a long time. Um, he said the game looks slow to him. And I could relate to that because I could relate to that in high school because I remember running in high school and everybody else was going in slow motion and I was going fast. And then my senior year at Pitt, Everybody else is going in slow motion. I was going fast. Scott, I'm sure you felt the same way. There's times when I played linebacker my sophomore year, the ball would be hiked and Scott would already be making the play. Like before I even before I even took a step, Scott McKillop would be making the play already. I'm like, this guy is on another level with game speed. You could just tell that the game is coming slow to him and he could play fast. And Narduzzi said that about uh, Kenny Pickett, that that's how he looks. How, you know, how do you take that? Like whenever you're heading into a season, especially your last year and, you know, go back to your last year, uh, the game speed is so crucial. And you, if you can slow it down, you're able to make plays and you're able to not think and you're able to just react. How is that feeling as a quarterback heading into your last year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely expecting that. I mean, I've from obviously a quarterback standpoint, someone who's played the position, uh, his, his entire life, and I'm sure Kenny has too. This is everything that he's dreamed of: being cool, calm, collected, being able to see things before it happens. I mean, I, I remember coming in as, as a true freshman. I couldn't even there. There were sections of the playbook that literally had to be exit out. Like, don't even look at that. That's completely different language. You're not even. You haven't been here long enough to even look at it. And then the following year, we add a little bit more. And then, my goodness, Kenny has been here a while. So now, you know, the beginning stages, you know, the first, you know, install and this and that, Kenny knows like the back of his hand. And here's another thing. Think of the chemistry that a pit quarterback can develop with the same offensive coordinator year after year after year. And this is what, their third year now? Right. So, I mean – we haven't really had that the consistency with an offensive coordinator matching with a go, good quarterback for a, a good amount of years. And now, now that we're seeing that uh, with Kenny being cool, calm, collected, and, and it coaches being able to see that uh, Kenny's going to be able to literally go right into the details of things. And I'm talking straight, like instead of just looking at the coverage, I'm looking at the alignment of the shade, meaning the, uh, the defensive lineman that's lining up under or over top of or to the right or to the left of my center, that right there is telling Kenny exactly the front, the coverage, what they're doing, and where he's going to go with the ball based on the play at hand. So I'm looking at Kenny literally walking up to the line of scrimmage with, with swag. I mean, saying, I know exactly what the heck you guys are doing. Come and bring it. I got all the answers to everything that you throw at me. And I have the keys to the car, meaning to change the play anytime that I choose to. And I think that is a match made in heaven. I just want him to stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy and literally thrive in the in the fourth quarter, 
become that closer that we need to close out games, uh, it's going to be a very exciting season for for this pit offense. And Scott, uh, you know, offensive offensive players they they have to thrive in the red zone. Um, I, I would be licking my chops whenever we'd be on the twenty yard line, and I'd know that I'd have a chance to get the ball because I was like, I, I have to get in the end zone. That is why you're there. That is why that uh, you know they call it the red zone because you need to score touchdowns and, and not field goals. Um, Lucas Kroll, you know, we're not. We're not donning him, you know, the next coming of Gronk, but he is six foot six, 260 pounds, could be a huge threat in the red zone for the Panthers. Um, if, if you're a defensive player, I, you know, I know the I know the mentality of an offensive player, and I just kind of just summed it up a little bit. You got to score a touchdown in the red zone. You have to every single drive you get into the red zone, you have to score a touchdown. That is an offensive player's mentality. As a defensive player men- mentality, how how are you how are you approaching? Uh, the red zone and how are you approaching to make a stop and to force them to, to, to try a field goal in the red zone? Well, I mean, I, I think it starts up front. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a beaten record, but you know, you got some dogs up front that can create pressure with just four men, you know, and it, it provides a little, little more of an opportunity for you in the back end to cover. But, you know, I, I think you said with Lucas Roll, I mean, you know, going into last year, going into this year, you know, everyone's excited. He has the, you know, the intangibles that, you know, you look for for a tight end. You know, he's good inline blocker. You know, he has the hands. He's, he's had another great camp. I mean, I think the most important thing is hopefully he stays healthy. But, you know, as, as, a, as a defensive player, it's identifying the threats, you know, who, who the quarterback looks to when, when uh, he needs a check down. And, you know, it's, it's uh, hopefully the ball comes out high and you have a chance to make a play. And, you know, worst case scenario, like you said, keep him in front of you. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, if, if you have a, great goal line defense and, you know, keeping the, 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 the ball out of the end zone, you're going to have a chance to win, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I think Kenny Pickett's a special player. I mean, I, I, I know I, as well as the, the rest of Pitt nation was extremely shocked and excited for him to come back. And, you know, I think now he can have an opportunity to put a stamp on, you know, his, his senior year. And hopefully, you know, this is the year that the ball bounces the right way for the Pitt Panthers, but you know, it's starts one game at a time and, you know, well, I'll be excited for Sunday for, for the game to get here. Jerry, if you had to pick one guy uh, to, to have a big year, to be an X factor on offense, uh, who would it be? It could be offensive lineman, could be a tight end, receiver, running back. If you had to pick one guy for Pitt to be successful this year outside of Kenny, who would it be? Well, we talked a lot about Lucas Kroll, and I, I think he's the key. I mean, especially in the red zone. Uh, Pitt has not had a good tight end since 2016, you know, when Scott Orndorff was catching catching passes, and then the upset comes in that year because of that. Um, Lucas was hurt most of last year. He, he's healthy now. It's, it's, if they can keep him healthy, but Mark Whipple was talking yesterday. We talked to him yesterday. And he made a lot of NFL references. He said a lot of the things schematically they're doing with their tight ends. And we're not putting Lucas Kroll in this category yet. But schematically, they're putting a lot of things with Kroll and the other tight ends that uh, the Patriots did with Gronkowski and what the Steelers did with Heath Miller. Uh, when when Whipple was the, uh, the quarterback's coach in 2004, Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year. Now, Crow was not even close to being that that kind of player yet. He has the body for it, it looks like. He looks like he has the uh, mentality to be a good player. But I think with Whipple, and I think Whipple's a smart offensive coordinator, he'll do some things differently this year. He might may even have a running game. Now, he didn't have a running game last year to help him out. His tight ends were all hurt last year, and he, he, they went to four wides a lot last year. And he said, you can't uh, – you know, operate a running game with with four wide receivers on the field. You got to get some tight ends on there. And this this uh, 
Freshman tight end Gavin Bartholomew and, and Crow, two big guys who can help them not only in the passing game in the red zone, but also in the run game. And the second uh, X-Factor guy, I believe, is going to be Owen Drexel. If the, Owen Drexel can play uh, close to what Jimmy Morrissey did last year, and by the way, Jimmy got cut by the Raiders. I don't, don't understand that at all. But um, if he can play, do what Jimmy Morrissey did, even close to it, the rest of those guys on the offensive line are big. They're experienced. I'm not saying they're going to be all ACC offensive linemen, but they're, they're, they're guys who've been around a while and have played a while and, and are good, solid players. And if, if Owen Drexel can step in and be what Jimmy Morrissey was, you know, he's, he's close to it, they could maybe run, run the ball this year, which they really haven't done since 2018. All right, we're going to go around the horn real quick. Everybody's going to get a minute, and I, I really want to know your thoughts on this subject. And it is as a whole, not just Pitt, but as a whole. Scott, we'll start with you. Bill, we'll go to you after that. And then Jerry will finish up with you. Uh, Jerry, will go to you. Then I'll finish up. Uh, Scott, within a minute, can you uh, give us your thoughts on NIL, name, image, and likeness being a part of college football? I I, I don't agree with it. Um, I I don't agree with uh, cost of attendance. Uh, I'm probably the minority with former players. I, I feel like that I was blessed to have a full scholarship and, you know, the stipend and, and, you know, everything that goes with it. And I, I think it's, it's opening Pandora's box. I'm afraid that college football is going to turn to NFL football. And, you know, I, I feel like college football is as pure as football as it was before. I mean, you have a backup, backup quarterback at Ohio state making $1.2 million and just blows my mind. He hasn't even played a snap. You know, the NFL drafts on potential and pays people on potential, you know, and potential gets coaches fired. So I'm just afraid that college football is going to be tarnished or what it was before. Bill? Wow. Uh, selfishly, I'm going to have to say, like, if if I'm playing now, if it is available to me, I mean, I'm going to take advantage of it. I mean, thinking of an individual, thinking of what that could do to their family, as far as helping out financially and those types of things, being a person from the city, from the area, uh, like yourself, Doran, uh, Scott, even, I mean, we could have used some of that stuff to help our families. So, I mean, from an individual, just humanity point, I guess, uh, financially, absolutely. I, I would take advantage of it. Now for college football, I got to go with Scott. I don't know how, it's going to play out as far as regulating how in the hell do you pay that backup quarterback that much money? And he hasn't even took a college snap. What the heck are we doing? Uh, 100% agree with Scott. It's open up Pandora's box. Uh, one question is NCA. How do we regulate this? How are we going to regulate it? And how is it going to last? Uh, until it turns into a straight up business and people are paying people, you're coming here because you get this deal and that deal, not because you're good at football and you love this university. Gary? When, when NIL was first instituted you know, over the summer, I, I said to myself, and they told some people and even wrote it, I didn't think there was going to be a lot of college players taking advantage of it because it's only going to be for the upper level uh, college football player. Uh, but but then I see this kid graduating high school early and skipping his senior year of high school uh, to go to Ohio State and make $1.4 million in, in endorsements if he just does, does a little bit of tweeting. Now, Kenny Pickett is, is getting very highly involved in it, at least, at least before the season. He, he made a point of telling us 
or telling me one day that once the season starts, he's not going to stop doing it. And his deal is not that bad. Uh, he has uh, a restaurant in, in Oakland who, who gives him like six or seven meals once a week. He takes his offensive lineman out, which is good for bonding, and it's a good thing. He's also driving around a nice big truck, a big, big, uh, big, real nice truck, probably sells for about fifty grand uh, that, that a dealership uh, has given him. He probably has to give it back at the end of the season. But if if they can, if the player himself can regulate it, and Pickett should be smart enough to regulate it and not get carried away during this season, if he's going to get involved in things and it's going to take away from his preparation and you know for, for the upcoming game, I don't think Kenny's that kind of guy. I think Kenny's the kind of guy that'll put all this stuff aside, you know, while the season's going on and worry about that after he uh, after the season's over and get ready for the NFL. But going out to dinner with his offensive lineman once a week and having the restaurant pay for it shouldn't have it shouldn't be a that big a deal. And there's going to be some other deals, but I don't see a lot of pit players getting a lot of deals other than Kenny Pickett. And, and you know, and then you have a problem possibly happening where an offensive lineman says, "Hey," or or, or a linebacker says, "Hey, my quarterback's making a million dollars. What do I get?" I just I just collected uh, ten sacks last season. Why I should be getting the same thing? Maybe he's not getting it because nobody knows who he is, um, and then that's that could create some problems in the, in the in the clubhouse in the locker room. And that's where the coach needs to step in and make sure these guys are all on the same page and all going at the same level. But it's difficult yeah. to do. It's, it's gonna be could be a problem. Could be Pandora's box. Yeah, and I, I am against it, and and I I just think it in, it individualizes the game, and you know the the thought of trying to make it to uh, a national championship or even a championship of your division uh, that kind of goes out the window in my opinion because you're more focused on trying to make money, you're more focused on yourself, um, and like you said, Jerry, you know you might have. Uh, you know, some guys upset that other guys are making more money and it's going to enhance, you know, recruiting, you know, if a team can offer, uh, if a team has big boosters that could offer guys, you know, a tight end, a hundred thousand dollars, say Maryland offers me a hundred thousand dollars coming out of high school. Cause, uh, the, the tight end last year made a hundred thousand dollars in, uh, Michigan state offered me 50,000. Where am I going to go? You're going to go to Maryland. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and that's, I just feel that, like you said, the Pandora's box, I feel like if they don't get a hold of this uh, and, and, and structure, structure this the right way, it will get out of control. And, you know, these kids also need to have advising. They need lawyers. They need, uh, uh, you know, like I said, advisors to make sure they don't get screwed over at the end of the day and, and making sure that they take the taxes out of their contracts and take the taxes out of their paycheck and, you know, that they know to do that and the things of that nature. So I just think that it's just... I, I feel like this is what the NFL is for. This is why that you have that goal at the end of the day to reach the NFL is to make money. This is to play college football to get to that level. It should not have money involved, in my opinion. So um, Wait, here, here's, here, here's one more thing too, Dorn, and I know you only said a minute, but I mean, think about it. If you're a projected first rounder and let's just say CAA or Athletes First or any of these big uh, agencies has somebody that basically – pays this person $200,000 to sign a bunch of autographs, which are, which are fake with the promise that they're going to go with them as an agency that you're just, it's, it's bad, man. It, it, it's, it, I'm just afraid of what's going to happen. I mean, now you're going to, now they have to have agents. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it, it, it's not good. In my opinion. Kenny Pickett has an agent, you know, he has an agent setting up these deals for him. And, you know, hopefully the agent, he fields all the phone calls. Let's Kenny work, focus on football. And I think that's the way it's going to be, at least with Pickett. 
Now, some guys that might be different, but, uh, you know, it, it's getting out of control. And maybe the coach needs to step in and, and talk to these kids. And a lot of these universities have already hired an outside firm to help these kids get through NIL and figure, and figure out but taxes, like you said, and exactly what it's going to entail. And, and, and boy, you, know, you work so hard, you know, to, uh, you know, to be a good college football player. You only get 12 chances a year. And if you're going to throw that away because you're going to get some kind of deal at the end that, you know, Pickett even made the point that, you know, it's nice what we're getting, but it's peanuts compared to what we can get in the NFL if we take care of business in college football and become a first or second round draft choice. Yeah, before I mean, what, we end what, the show, go ahead, go ahead, Scott. What happens if something happens like the movie Blue Chips? You know, if somebody offers somebody a bag of money to throw a game and says you're signing autographs. I mean, like, I'm afraid, like, hopefully it doesn't happen, but it's always a what if. It's a crazy world. Anything can happen. You know, there's a lot of crazy people out there. Before we end the show, guys, uh, Bill, we'll start with you. I need a score prediction for Saturday and a player of the game on offense and defense for the Pitt Panthers. Okay, so real quick, I was fortunate enough to be at a golf outing last weekend with Kenny Pickett and Lucas Kroll. Two quick things, Doran. My goodness, I didn't realize how tall Kenny was. I'm 6'3". I, holy crap, he is tall. And there's a rumor going around, okay, that Lucas Kroll hit a 300, okay, 340-yard bomb from the tee box. Supposedly, he was crushing bombs all day. Has zero accuracy, but something fun to watch on, on, the, on, the, golf, on the golf course. Uh, Can but, he catch a football? I sure as hell hope so. That's, that's the question. I know, so, he, I know he's also a good baseball player, too. So He, he, he was pitcher, yeah. He was good. Yeah. So uh, talk about another specimen, physical specimen of 6'6", just a huge, huge, uh, huge dude crushing bombs out there on, on, the, on, the, on the golf outing. Uh, but I'm going with 42-24 Panthers. Uh, UMass sneaks a few touchdowns at the end uh, just because we were playing the backups. Um, uh, I'm going with – I don't think it's going to be Kenny as far as player of the game. I think they will be a little vanilla or butter pecan-ish. Um, I'm going to go with Izzy. I'm going to go with Izzy. I think he's going to break some runs. Uh, he might not carry the full workload because they're probably working Davis as well. Uh, but I'm looking at Izzy uh, to come downhill and break a couple tackles and, and uh, break – I'm saying he's going to break two long ones and get some get two touchdowns and be the player of the game. Defensively. Defensively. I got to go with just the front seven. I, I think I think the front seven in general uh, is just going to wreak havoc um, and just use use their veteranness, their their veteran skills, their um, their chemistry and just just wreak havoc and Get, the quarterbacks should be on his back a lot this game, hopefully. Scott, uh, score prediction and offense and defensive player of the game. 39-10 Pitt, Cervakier Davis. I probably mispronounced his name. I'm sorry. And uh, Kenny Pickett, hail to Pitt. Jared? I'll make it unanimous. They're not going to cover the point spread. It's 42-6 Pitt, even though we're given 38 points. Uh, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, – and since I'm Italian, I got to go with uh, Habakkuk uh, Baldonado. 
Uh, talked to him today. Big guy, six foot five, two sixty. He's going to knock down a lot of passes. He's a big, strong guy, and uh, he's had a really good camp. And I think at defensive end, he's going to you know approach what Rashad Weaver did uh, last year. Uh, and on offense, um, how about Vincent Davis? Everybody's talking about Izzy, and uh, Izzy's had a good camp too. But, uh, Vincent Davis is the kind of guy that can take it to the house real quick. He has a lot of quickness coming out of the backfield to catch some passes. Uh, he, he ran for, what, 240 against Georgia Tech in, in the last time we saw him. I think uh, they'll, they'll spread it around a little bit, and maybe the Stars won't play all that much. But in the first half, I think you see Vincent Davis run for close to 100 yards and maybe score a touchdown. All right. I'm going to go with 45-10, to 10, uh, the Pitt Panthers over UMass. And my defensive player of the game is going to be Deslin Alexander. I think that he's going to have a fantastic year. Obviously, has one of the best coaches in the country and Charlie Partridge. And, you know, what he got to see last year, two of the best defensive ends in college football, get drafted, become All-Americans. He's primed and ready to make some plays this year. So I'm going to have Deslin Alexander as my defensive player of the game. But for offense, drum roll, I am going to pick Nick Patty as the offensive player of the game because Kenny Pickett is not going to play that much. He's going to get his series in. He's going to get his throws in. He's going to score some touchdowns, and he's going to get out of the game, and Nick Patty's going to come in, and he's going to make it rain all over the field against UMass. That is my offensive player of the game. Guys, we really appreciate it. it. For Jerry, for Bill, and our fantastic guest, Scott McKillop, uh, I'm Doran Dickerson. I hope you guys enjoyed the Believe in Pitt Football podcast Pitt Panthers against UMass this Saturday, September 4th at Heinz Field. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.